City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Caveat Imtor. Caveat Imtor is something that we all do intuitively this time of year. Because what that means is buyer beware. That means when you're shopping on Amazon and it says this is coming from a third party seller, all of us immediately have those red flags go up and go, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I don't want something from a third party seller. That's why we get real antsy and go, what's your return policy? Do you pay for shipping? Can I drop it off at one of those cool orange boxes at 7-Eleven? What do I do with this if I don't like it, right? We are much more concerned about the things that we buy this time of year when we buy gifts. We are absolutely fearful that we're going to buy a lemon. And so we are aware. We go in eyes wide open. It's interesting because we often present Christianity when we're sharing our faith with others, when we're talking to others about Jesus, as uh, Christianity is a way for your whole life to be better. Everything's going to be awesome, right? It feels a little bit like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team, right? And we have this sort of idea that when we talk about Christianity, this is the way that we talk about it, that, oh, you should become a Christian because everything will be better in your life. Well, those of us who have been Christians for more than 15 minutes know that that's that's not true, is it? Not every day in our life as a Christian is sweeter than the day before. There are struggles. There are times where our faith is hard. There are moments where our faith is costly. But we don't like to tell people about that, do we? We like to just gloss over that and say, no, no, don't worry about it. Right? It's like when you try to give your kids like a smoothie and your wife makes you put kale in it, but you tell the kids, oh, no, there's chocolate in here. And the kids know there's kale in there. I'm not going near that. I don't care if you put chocolate in there. That's kale. And kale doesn't belong in a smoothie or in food <laughs> at all. You know, there's a trick with uh, when you're cooking. Most of you guys know I like to cook. Um, when you're cooking with kale, the, the trick is if you put a little bit of um, uh, coconut oil in there, it makes it easier to slide it right off into the trash can. <laughs> we don't like to tell people about the kale of Christianity. And not only that, we tend to partition our faith off from everything else in our life. Think about it. It's the holidays. We're in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. What are the two things you're not allowed to talk about at the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner table? Politics and religion, right? Those are the two things that are off limits at the table, right? Talk about anything else. Talk about the weather. Talk about how you got here. Right? All the boring topics we end up talking about, right? But do not talk about politics and religion. Why? Because in our culture, we are trained to want to partition our life and say that this is my work part of my life, and this is my family part of my life, and this is my religious part of my life. And they don't touch each other. 
You just stay over there. So Jesus, you stay over there and you don't tell me how to run my life. Jesus, you don't tell me about work and I'll take care of my family. Thank you very much. Right? And my boss, he can't tell me about my religion and he doesn't tell me how to run my family. We, we keep all of these things, we keep all of these spheres in our life completely separate. But that's not the way faith works. Our faith should be woven into and a part of every single part of our life. We should recognize how faith is going to impact every different decision that we make. And it's interesting because as we look through the characters, specifically the women that are mentioned in Jesus' genealogies, today we come to Rahab. Which if you've grown up in the church, you know Rahab as Rahab the prostitute, harlot, right? I mean, think about it. There are like certain names that you're like not allowed to name your children, right? Don't name your son Judas, right? You can't name your son Adolf. Also high on the list is Rahab, right? I mean, it's just one of those names that has been ruined for all time, right? Nobody else gets, nobody else gets to ruin it. Rahab, already took care of it, because her name is synonymous with being a prostitute. And yet, guess who shows up as the second woman in Jesus' genealogy? That same Rahab. So here this morning, here's what I need to tell you, here's what I want to tell you guys, all of you. Y'all need to have faith like a prostitute. Alright? That's the sermon. Have faith like a prostitute. Like, that's it. Let me read the story. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to see if I can make it through this. And uh, we're going to read the story of Rahab to get a picture of her faith and why you should have faith like Rahab. This is Joshua 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all our land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid on them in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, 
please swear to me by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully to you. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Um, so the story of Rahab is a story that many of us are familiar with. If you have grown up in the church, even if you've been away for a long time, it's one of those classic vacation Bible school sort of, you know, definitely in Sunday school class type of stories. And the details of it are pretty simple. They're about to enter the land of Israel. They send out some spies. The spies go into Jericho to see what's going on, and they need to hide out for a minute, so they hide out in the most natural place you'd hide out with if you were a spy, right? You go to the the, the house of ill repute, the house of the rising sun, if you will, right? And so that's where they went. They went and they found lodging there. But what they found when they got there was something that should shock us. This is a twist. This is a plot twist that because we are so familiar with the story, doesn't land. The punch doesn't really land for us. But think about this. Two Israelite spies go into the land of Canaan. And when they're spying on the land of Canaan, they decide that they need to hide in a whorehouse. And when they get to the whorehouse, the madam of the house says, I know you, you're Israelites, and I've started to believe in your God. Cool? Cool. Really? Because that's what happened in this story. They went to a Canaanite brothel and found a madam who had started to believe in Yahweh God. Oh, by the way, that madam is a great-great-grandmother, or one great-grandmother of King David, and the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. It's interesting that twice in the New Testament, Rahab's name comes up, outside of the genealogy. And in both cases, it's because of her faith. And so I want to just point out three things. I'm going to be very brief this morning. Um, I want to point out three things about Rahab's faith. The first is, it looks back on what God has already done and anticipates what he's going to do in the future. This is something that we need to practice in our own lives. Think about the way that God has been faithful to you before. How often do you share those stories with other people? How often do you share your stories of the way that God has rescued you from things? See, oftentimes we don't share those stories. We're embarrassed by those stories. We don't think about those stories. We don't like to look back on the times that we needed help. But look at the way that Rahab described her faith. What did she do? She said, look, I have heard what God has already done. 
I have heard about the Red Sea, which would have been 45-ish years ago at this point. I have heard about what just happened. God has been faithful to you. He will be faithful again. Rahab used what God had done in the past as a template for what she was believing in the future. So, how do we reflect on what God has done for us? This is one of the reasons why we do city groups the way we do them at City Church. Our city groups are not hardcore, in-depth Bible study trademark. They're not. But that's intentional. Because one of the things we want our city groups to be is places where we begin to tell one another our stories of rescue. Where we begin to tell one another the stories of God's faithfulness in spite of our faithlessness. Do you know what happens when I hear that story from you? My faith grows. you know what happens when I hear that story from you? I'm pushed to trust in God when things look bad. If God has been faithful before, God will be faithful again. It's interesting, as we move as a church, it's funny, somebody pointed something out to me the other day. Um, this person had been with us since we started in the living room. And, and she said, you know, it's funny, it's really cool, because now everybody gets to tell the story of, I remember when City Church moved from from that building. Remember that weird building? That, that third story office building that we turned into a church. I remember when we moved from there to the movie theater. And it just reminds me, and this person started talking about when we moved from our living room to the coffee shop. And when we moved from the coffee shop to here. And when we begin to rehearse God's stories of faithfulness, it gives us trust for what he's going to do in the future. That's how Rahab's faith grew. That's ours too. But not only that, her faith acted in a time of pressure, right? Because as soon as she gets these men into her house, as soon as she tells them that she has been converted to Yahweh, who comes a-knocking? The king and all the king's men, right? They were apparently done fixing Humpty Dumpty. Now they come to her house. And Rahab lies. Rahab says, ah, they went that way, right? And Rahab lies. But what's interesting is not just the lie. If we just focus on that, we, we, get, we can have some really interesting moral discussions. But we miss the bigger idea of the fact that Rahab's faith was making her take costly decisions. That wasn't a good sentence. Blame the suit effect. Rahab's faith cost her something. Rahab's decisions were driven by her faith, and those decisions were costly. Which begs the question, when's the last time your faith cost you anything? You see, most of us are more interested in insurance than we are in faith. Right? Sorry, Jane, I know that you're an insurance dealer. But let's be honest. How does insurance... Yeah, yeah, no, no. The dealer is the right word for somebody who sells insurance. Not blaming that one on the medicine. Um, think about how insurance works for you and for me, right? For most of us, 
right? We get it because we have to get it. We slide our auto insurance into the glove box. And then when do you think about it? Never. (laughs) Right? Until you're in a car wreck, you never, ever think about it. Your insurance does not determine any of your life's decisions. Well, you know, I was going to drive to Michigan, but maybe I'll fly, you know, on account of my insurance. <laughs> I, you know, uh, you know, what are, what are we going to do? What are we going to get the kids for Christmas? You know what? Maybe we should get the kids an insurance policy. They'd love that for Christmas. You know what I mean? Wrap it up real nice. It'd be great. No, what? Insurance is just something that we get. It's something we have. And it's something we want to fade into the background. Right? In fact, if you're using your insurance, it usually means something bad is happening. Car wreck, health insurance, all those things. See, that's how we treat our faith. We want it to be there. We want it to be fine. We want to be able to check off our boxes and say, yes, I did my Jesus thing. I went to church on Sunday. Thank you very much. Right? But when it comes to -to day-to-day living... It doesn't affect us. It doesn't cause us to do anything risky. It doesn't cause us to make any tough decisions. We want faith that we can tuck away in our glove box and pull it out on Sundays and it's very nice and then put it back away. We don't want a faith that drives us to do risky things like lie to the king's guard. We don't want a faith that makes us do risky things. Like believe that these spies are going to treat you with kindness just because you believe in the same God as they do. But that's the way that Rahab's faith worked. She was risking, with this decision, she was risking her community because she was going to be cast out by all of the people of Jericho. She was risking her finances. You know, God has a pretty strict code about brothels and not having them in Israel. So when she was saying, I want Israel to take over Jericho, she was putting herself out of business and she was risking her security. When's the last time your faith put your finances, your security, or your community at risk. And in the end, Rahab follows through. Her faith endures. As week after week, the people of Israel keep getting closer. As day after day, they marched around the city. Guess what? Rahab watched and hung the thread out her window and said, I'm going to continue to believe that that these spies are going to be faithful, that the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who did all of this, is going to welcome me, a madam, a prostitute, a harlot, into his covenant community. And the beauty of the story is, he did. He did. And not just uh, sort of, oh yeah, there she is over there. No, woven into the fabric of Israel. Her son is Boaz. The story that we'll hear next week of Ruth. One of the sort of few real good guys in the Old Testament. 
Her great-grandson is David, king of Israel, and Jesus. So, this morning, as we sort of think through this, what does this mean for us? What does all this medicine-headed rambling point us to? Should we just wake up tomorrow and go, oh yeah, Justin said I need to have more faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work harder. I'm going to like clench my fist harder and do faith things. <laughs> if that's what we do, we've missed the boat. We've missed the point. Because this story is ultimately about the miracle of faith that is given to us. How in the world does a prostitute in a brothel in a random city in Canaan come to know God? It's not because she woke up one morning and said, I'm going to do the faith thing and I'm going to try harder. It's because God put that faith in her heart and grew it and grew it to the point where it resulted in actions. And so this is ultimately a story of what Jesus does for us. You see, we can't even come up with faith on our own. We can't even get that right. And so what Jesus does is he takes all of our sin, including our disbelief, including our lack of faith on himself on the cross. And instead of being the conquering king, he becomes the conquered king. As his body is torn apart on the cross for your sins and for mine. So that he could give us the free gift of salvation. The free gift of himself. And so what happens when we begin to see Jesus as the one who is giving us our faith, as the one that is nurturing it, as our call is to not create the fire, but to fan it hotter, what we're going to see in our lives is, first of all, real changed lives in our community. But that's hard. Because that means we're going to have to get to know one another. That means you're going to see me sin. That means I'm going to see you sin. That means... It's not going to be easy. But not only that, we'll begin to see real, fruitful lives. Just like Rahab had. That our faith will result in our lives flourishing. But there's joy and pain to that, isn't there? That's not always an easy thing. You think of, we think of so many people who have welcomed babies into our church family in the past few months. There is great joy and great pain. Not just in the birth process, but in the moments that come after it. As that baby yells a lot at three in the morning. Right? You have the joy of that baby gooing at you and ooing and eyeing, mixed with the pain of sleeplessness. The pain and struggle that comes along with it. And if we ask the parents, I imagine most of them would say they wouldn't trade it. That sort of joy and pain, that tumult, that struggle, is the nature of our faith. May God grow it in us. Let's pray.